Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jason Doman. I am the youth pastor here at Alpine Church. Um, and I, I just want to say, you, you, you never know what's going to happen when the youth pastor has a microphone. So uh, I just, yeah, I want to start out and just say you're welcome. Um, and I'm sorry. So just right off the bat, let's get those out of the way, okay? Uh, this is a little surreal for me. I um, came to Christ here at Alpine at the Layton campus about nine years ago, almost to the date. Uh, and and it's, it's been such an amazing adventure and just crazy, wild things that have gone on that God has done in my life that I, I never expected, I never saw coming. And so uh, to be back here at my home campus again teaching, it's really cool. So uh, I, I'm excited to be here. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I've had to teach uh, your, your kids. Uh, so thank you so much if you have a, a student who is, who is plugged in in our fusion ministry uh, if you don't yet, and you have a student, a grandchild, somebody in your family, 7th through 12th grade, and they're not yet coming to youth, get them to the Riverdale campus uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I, I would love to meet them and get them plugged into what we're doing. Um, I, a, a few months ago, my youngest son, he's, he's 10 years old, he decided that he wanted to hike Timpanogos, and he wanted to summit the peak. Uh, and and my, my beautiful, loving wife thought it was a good idea to encourage this kind of behavior. And uh, about halfway to Provo, I realized that I had left my uh, hiking boots at the front door. And so I was really, really excited about this adventure we were about to take. And uh, I, I want to show you guys a picture. Um, this, is, this is about halfway into the hike. And the, the huge monster of a peak up there, you can't even see it, but there's, there's a shack up on top of that. And that shack is where they have the book that you can sign. You know, you can put your name next to all the other idiots who thought it was a good idea to hike to the top of Timpanogos. And, and so we're sitting up there, and, and I'm looking out. And during the whole hike, it, it wasn't just at the peak, but during this whole hike, I kept thinking, this is beautiful, my feet really hurt, but this is beautiful, right? And, and I was so amazed by uh, just the, the, the grandeur of things and, and, and just how magnificent everything was. And I'm, and I'm sitting up there at the top, and I'm looking at my kid who's, who's grinning from ear to ear, and he's signing his name in the book. And I was like, man, if I feel this way about creation, what about the creator? Like, if creation is this amazing, what about the creator? And so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're looking at one of the most powerful statements in the Bible, one that has shaped uh, Jewish culture and Christianity for, for thousands of years. And, 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 of course, we're looking at the Shema. Okay, and, and so what we're doing, we're doing a word study in the Shema, and, and we're spending these six weeks looking at six key words out of the Shema. Last week we, we looked at the, the first word in there, Shema, uh, and, and we learned that it means to listen or to hear, but it also means to obey. And so the question becomes, well, what, what is it exactly? What are we supposed to be listening to? What are we supposed to be hearing? And so uh, before, we, before we dig into to this week's word a little bit deeper, we're going to uh, look at the Shema one more time and get into that. It says, listen, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And so really, we're called to, to pay close attention to this, this foundational statement about God, about, about who God is. That, that, that's what we're, we're looking at today. And then in the coming weeks, we'll focus more on what our response 
to, to God should be. But for, for today, we're going to examine this, this, this seemingly simple phrase that begins, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Okay, it's just eight words in English. It's actually only, only four words uh, in the original Hebrew, but it's packed with profound meaning. And, and so hopefully when we consider these words a little bit closer uh, about who our God is and, and, and what he's like, hopefully that will fill us with awe. And so the first thing I want to share with you guys, the, the, the first way uh, that, that we should be thinking about God is that the God that we love is eternal. Okay, the God that we love is e- eternal. The first word in this phrase is actually just the Hebrew letters Y-H-W-H. Okay, just, just Y-H-W-H. And, and we pronounce it Yahweh, right? That, that's, that, that's how it, it, it was read. Um, but originally, uh, this, first of all, this, this Yahweh, this Y-H-W-H is, is referred to in the Old Testament over 6,000 times. Okay, God is referred to by this name over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. We get kind of an explanation of what this name means in Exodus chapter 3. And this is where uh, God, it, 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 he, he, he shows himself to Moses through the burning bush, right? And he's, he's having this conversation with Moses. And, and, and he tells Moses, your responsibility is to lead my people out of Egypt. Your responsibility is to, to free my people from slavery. And so Moses and, and God, they kind of have this dialogue, and, and Moses is like, well, they're not going to listen to me if, if I go tell them that. And God's like, well, just tell them I sent you, right? And, and Moses is like, well, that's not, what, what, do I, what do I tell them? So we pick it up here in Exodus 3.13. He says, they're going to ask me, what's, what's his name? Who sent you? What's his name? And then what should I tell them? And here was God's response. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also told Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God identifies himself here as I am who I am, or, or, simply, or just simply I am. And that name, it, it, it literally means the one who is. Okay, I am means the one who is. This is the, the personal name of God in the Old Testament, the name by which he relates to his people, the name by which he called Abraham into relationship with him, the, the God who created everything. But this name, it, it also communicates that God is eternal. See, there's simply just never a time when God did not exist. He is simply I am and to build on that, there wasn't only a time that God didn't exist, but there wasn't a time where he didn't exist as God. Okay, God wasn't some like lesser being who became a God, who obtained Godhood. He has always been everything that it means to be God, from eternity to e- eternity. And the, the, the New Testament, it presents us with, with the very same concept uh, in Revelation 1.8. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord God, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. So this name, Yahweh, it communicates that he is eternal, but also communicates that God is self-existent. Okay, God is self-existent. If God simply is, I am, then he is not dependent on any other being, on any other force in this world to exist. Because if we compare it to ourselves, Right? We, are, we are very much not self-existent. We would not be here if God had not created us. And if God ever ceased to sustain us, that would be it. That'd be that, we, we, we would be done. 
Now, an interesting side note here, this, this is actually where we get the name Jehovah. Okay, Jehovah was one of, at one time, it was one of the most common ways of naming God in the English language. And, and the Hebrew people, they, they really desired to honor God. And so they decided that they, they, when they came across this spelling of Yahweh, this YHWH, that they weren't even going to say it. Okay, they, it, was, it was a matter of reverence that was so important to them. They weren't even going to say this name. And so what they did when, when they would come to this spelling, they would just pronounce it Adonai. Okay, and Adonai is just the, the common Hebrew word for Lord. And so then, as a, as a visual reference, when they saw this word, they decided that they were going to change the, the spelling a little bit, and so they took the, the consonants, Y-H-W-H, and they added the vowels from Adonai. Okay, and, and so that, that then we ended up with kind of this Yahweh, <laughs> or Yehoah, and, and, and just the... Um, they, they, when they saw that, they still pronounced it Adonai. And so when the Christian scholars came along and, and they were translating, they didn't understand what was happening. They couldn't figure out how they were spelling it this way, how they were pronouncing it. And so they just, they transliterated it as Jehovah. And that's where we get the name Jehovah in the, in the King James Version. Sorry, I know that's, that's kind of a tangent there. But I, I think learning about all this stuff is, is, is great. It's, it's, re- it's really cool to have this knowledge, but it's not just about knowing Right? It's not just about interesting stuff to, to know. God's eternal self-existent nature should do something in us. It calls us to response. Look at what it says here in Psalms. It says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. So God's timeless nature has this psalmist kind of reflecting on the the span of human life or really the shortness of human life and it's kind of sobering to to compare the two. God's eternity is, is, is like mountains, like that peak just seemingly goes on forever and on on the flip side, uh, people, it says people are like dry grass. Right? I've been called way worse than that. But to think about that, to think about what that means here today and, and gone tomorrow, really, really thinking about that makes me want to spend my time more wisely. Right? It says here, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Thinking about that, the short time we have here makes me want to spend more time with God and spend my time wisely now, all that, it comes just, just from one word in this phrase. And so as we, as we look at the other two words we're going to focus on, our, our concept of God hopefully expands even further. So, so the second thing I want to say is that the God we love is the only God there is. The God that we love is the only God that there is. See, the book, the book of Deuteronomy is, is basically just a sermon that Moses is giving to the people of Israel. Okay, as, as just before they entered the land that God had promised them as their new home, they're coming out of Egypt and they're coming into the land of, of Canaanite religions. Okay, and, and there's so many different gods that they worship. Okay, and that's back then. We think about it today. There's so many different religions and so many different gods out there, different mythologies. And what the Bible tells us is that none of those are real. None of those gods exist and likewise, a little more, you know, home to our culture, there, there, there's not multiple gods running other planets. 
Our God isn't just one God out of many in the universe or other universes. Our God is the one and only true God, full stop. That's it. He is the only God. He is the only being who is self-sustaining. He is the only being who exists eternally. Look at what Isaiah said about it. He said, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. It's very clear there is one God. Now another thing to point out is that the God that we serve isn't the same God that other religions serve. Okay, I hear people say all the time like, oh, we all believe in the same God. We all get there eventually. The biblical God is the same God as the Mormon God or the God of Islam. It's not. It's not, and when you get down to it, when you really look at it, it's very clear that our God is unique. It's very clear that our God is unique. So let's look at the other word in this simple phrase, this word that's translated into God. We start with the Lord, right, it's translated into Yahweh. This second word translated God is actually the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay, and Elohim is found 2,500 times or so in the, in the Old Testament, and it refers to the true God. This is actually the ancient name for God. Okay, it was first mentioned in Genesis 1.1, so right in the very beginning of the Bible, we hear this name Elohim, and it, 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 it's, the Elohim means the creator. Okay, he is the one true creator God. It also conveys his, his authority and his rule over the whole universe. So in this, this simple phrase that we're reading here, these simple eight words, it's revealed to us that the personal God who redeemed Israel, Yahweh, is also the universal God who rules over the entire universe, Elohim. Now, if this God is one, if he is the only God that there is, what about the Trinity? What about the, the Trinity? Because the, the, the biblical doctrine of the, of the Trinity teaches us that there is only one God, but also that this one God is a tri-personal being, right? A lot of times God is referred to as, the, as the, the triune God. So in other words, one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons. Now, the Trinity is clearly not taught here in, in, in Deuteronomy 6, but it's also not impossible. See, the idea of the Trinity, it doesn't come from just any one verse in the Bible, right? This idea comes from, from taking the entire Bible in context. There's not just one single verse that says, well, yeah, God is one God, but in three different beings, right? It's, it's not that simple for us. And so from the, from the entire teachings of the, of the Bible taken together, that this is why Christianity has historically embraced this doctrine, because the Bible consistently speaks of one true God, yet it also refers to the Father as God, the Son as God, the Holy Spirit as God. But it portrays them as distinct persons. So really the, the, the Trinity is the only concept of God that we have that, that takes the entire Bible seriously. It is the only way to truly explain one God in three distinct persons. 
Now, if, if this concept of the Trinity is, is true and correct, then we would expect the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to share the same attributes. So we would expect Jesus to share these same attributes. Look what it says in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Now again, you guys, this isn't just interesting information to know. Okay, this isn't just about having a cognitive knowledge of, of, of these things. The nature of God calls for a response. For me, when I, when I think about what this means, what, trying to explain God, I, I'm amazed by it. I don't get upset or discouraged that I can't grasp it, that I can't understand the nature of God. Like, that doesn't bother me. To me, that says that's why God is worthy of our praise. That's who I want to worship. He is the only thing in this world that is worthy of our praise. So if all of this is true, if he is the one and only true God and he is inviting us into a personal relationship with him, like he did with Israel, then it makes sense. I totally skipped aside. It makes sense that our deepest reverence belongs to this God alone. Okay, it makes sense that our, our, our reverence belongs to this God alone. Let me, I'm gonna back up here. Um, Romans, Romans, 36, Romans 11, 33 through 36, it says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts, who knows him enough to give him advice, and who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. See, when faced with the, the majesty of God the, who, who created and rules the entire universe, his, his uniqueness among everything else, his infinite and incomprehensible nature, like the only thing we're, we, we can do is, is hit our knees and worship him. That's the only thing we can do with something like this, something so amazing, something so powerful. And so that's what leads us to where I skipped to. Our, our deepest reverence belongs to this God alone. Our deepest reverence belongs to this God alone. So we're, I'm gonna pry a little bit into, into next week because after introducing this God, Deuteronomy 6 says to love the Lord your God. And so we're gonna, we're gonna focus on, on, on what it looks like to love God, what that means, but let me, let me kind of build a bridge to that real quick. Because of the, the uniqueness of our one creator, God, we don't, <laughs> we don't deserve the grace that he's shown us. We haven't earned the grace that he's shown us. We can never repay the grace that God has shown us. Just like God doesn't share his existence with any other God, we shouldn't share our honor and our devotion of our, of our hearts with anything else. See, the ancient Hebrews, when they, when they found a way to avoid saying the holy name of God, when they wouldn't pronounce Yahweh, that was their attempt to show honor and, and, and reverence for God. And so what would it look like if, if, if for us to give reverence to God today, should we do what the ancient Hebrews did? And listen, I, th I think their, their heart was in the right place, right? But God never told them to do that. God never asked them to do that. What he said was, don't put anything else above me. 
Don't put anything else above him. And that's where we should be looking. When we take a look at our, at our own lives, is, is there anything or anyone else in our lives that is taking the priority that God deserves? Luke 9 says, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So now Jesus isn't saying that you have to cut yourself off from your family in order to follow him. That's not what, he, what he's getting at here. He's saying that as a Christ follower, you will have a higher priority than family. As a Christ follower, you're, you won't say, yes, Jesus, but wait, let me do this first. As a Christ follower, God will be your number one. God comes first because he is the one and only true God. Now, the reality is that all of us have things in our life that we're, we're tempted to love and to desire more than God. It could be your family. It could be your kids. It could be your girlfriend, your boyfriend, the crowd you hang out with. It could be the, you're seeking the approval of others. It could be success in business. It could be your political persuasions. Okay, it could be a, 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 a drug, it could be um, music, it could be a hobby, a sport, it could be your immaculate yard or your ridiculously organized pantry, you know who you are. It could be your car, your looks, your physique, it could be so many different things, but we all have people or things that can edge God out for our affections and for our loyalties so kind of a, a great question to ask yourself, to kind of put yourself to the test is what would happen in my heart if this thing or that thing were taken away? What would I do? What would my life look like if I lost this one thing? So I want to end with this. I, I, hope, that, I hope that today you have a, a better grasp of the God that we're called to love who he is and, 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 and what he's like. But again, it's not just about getting more information about God. It's not just about knowing what's, what's equally important, if not more important, is what we do with that knowledge. And so what I'm saying today is that knowing who God is should, leave us, should lead us to give him the reverence that he deserves. To live a life in, in, in humility to God, to be in awe of him, to put him first above everything else. And so the, the, the rest of this series will be all about what that looks like to live that kind of life, to honor God and respect him like that. And so our hope and our, our prayer is that you'll, you'll come back and, and, and join us as we get deeper into the Shema. It's, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard for some of us to hear, uh, but it's also going to be very rewarding. So we, we hope that you'll come back and join us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for who you are for being a God who is worthy of our praise. God, and, and there's so many different uh, thoughts out there. There's so many different ideas about who you are and, and what you are, God. And we're so thankful that we have your word to know you. God, to grow in, in who you are, to grow closer to you. And so God, as, as we look at this, 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 this fundamental idea to Christianity, God, as we go through the Shema, I pray that you move in our hearts God, I pray that we can, we can know you better. God, that we can understand what it looks like to love you with everything that we have. 
God, I pray for anyone in here right now who, who has something on that pedestal. God, who has something in their life that is taking the place that you deserve. Whatever it is, God, whether it's, it's an addiction, God, whatever it is, God, I, I pray that you open their eyes to you. To the understanding, God, that, that when you are on that pedestal, God, when you are the top priority in life, it changes everything. It changes how we live. It changes how we treat others. So, God, I pray that that, that can be a goal for all of us this week, God, to, to declutter our lives, God, to get rid of those things that are in the way of you being the most important thing. God, we love you so much. You're such an amazing God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for being a forgiving God. God, and I just pray that you give us boldness throughout our week to honor you with our lives, to, to live a life that honors you, that honors the sacrifice your son made on the cross. Thank you, God, for all you do in your name. Amen.